Good morning, everyone. On this Sunday morning, we give thanks to God that we can be together to worship our sovereign Lord and Savior. We warmly welcome all guests joining us this morning. Consistory, or Council has the following announcements. Um, the Consistory announces that Wesley, Greg DeWitt, and Petra Van Kamen have indicated their intention to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and to complete it to his glory. If no lawful objection is brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on February 12, 2021 at 3 p.m. in this church building. The congregation will begin singing new psalms and hymns on February 14th, two songs at each of the morning and afternoon services. These new songs can be found in the file section on the church social. Please take the time to review them and provide feedback when requested. For those in attendance, we are asking for volunteers after the worship service to assist in wiping down the auditorium. If you are able to lend a hand, please wait outside the sanctuary doors for further instructions. This morning's worship service will be led by our pastor, Reverend Julius Vince Bronson. In preparation for worship, we will praise our God with the singing of hymn 84.
us rise for worship and lift up our hearts to the Lord. We begin this worship service by together confessing our dependence on the Lord. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We'll now sing together Psalm 119, the stanza 7, as we praise God for opening our eyes to see his glory, uh, also through his uh, revelation and his law. Psalm 119, stanza 7. submit our lives to the ten words of the covenant. We read the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. God speaks all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. In Romans chapter 13, verse 10, we're reminded of this 
purpose. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And we'll sing that, the praises of the law, with the words of Psalm 19, stanza 3. join in prayer. We'll confess our sins before the Lord and also turn to him as we, for the promise of forgiveness in Christ. Almighty, gracious God, the words we've just read together teach us that you made us to love you, to love our neighbor as ourselves. Enlighten our eyes. We realize, O oh Lord, and we praise you that we may be in your presence. You are almighty creator of the universe, of the heavens, the earth, everything in it. We see your power and your majesty around us. We thank you, Father, that we may also of this revelation of your holiness. And as we see your holiness, we are also confronted with our own weaknesses, our own sins. Not only in the things that we desire, but the things we've said, the things we've done with our hands, the way we've treated those around us. We confess before you, O Lord, our our sins, our rebellion, the weakness of our flesh. We thank you, Lord, that even as we come before you and confess our sins to you, the sincerity of heart, the sorrow for our sins, we know that you receive us in grace. You embrace us as your children because you have washed us clean in Jesus Christ who died on a cross for our sins. Oh Lord, we are so thankful. We rejoice 
in this relationship that we may have with you. We pray, Father, that as we cling to the assurance, the complete forgiveness of all our sins, the assurance that there is no condemnation for us as we hide ourselves in Christ by faith, that this joy that fills our heart even as we say these words may also overflow into every part of our lives. Thank you, Father, for bringing us here this day. You know, the weather, the temperature is so, so very cold. There's an extra work to, to be here this morning. We thank you, Father, for preserving us in your care for allowing us this wonderful opportunity. We pray also that you'll be with the, the many who are restricted or hindered because of the temperatures, that you will also be with the people, wherever they may be, brothers and sisters. We also think of those with special concerns or who are not able to have access to, to a warm place. We ask, Father, that as a congregation we may be considerate of those around us and show love to the, the needy and the vulnerable. As we turn to your word again this morning, we ask that you will bless the reading of your word and its proclamation. That as we look at our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ, in the full display of his glory as it's revealed to us in your word that you will work powerfully in our hearts, lift up our hearts in worship to you. As we ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning we'll read together from Mark chapter 7, verse 31 to 9, verse 1, to get a good understanding of the context of the miracle that's the, the text this morning, which is found in the middle of chapter 8. There's some parallels between the way Jesus healed the deaf man in Mark 7, verse 31, and also how he healed the blind man in our text. So we will read together Mark 7, verse 31, to Mark 9, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed. And said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his eyes were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd, because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. 
And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people. And he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the five thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the four thousand, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. When he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he said, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees, walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and Others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. 
For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. As far as the reading of Scripture, we'll sing together now. Psalm 146, stanzas 4 and 5, is the promise that the Lord gives that he makes the blind to see, he lifts up those bowed down, he protects the vulnerable, and we sing his praise. Psalm 146, stanzas 4 and 5. for the message this morning is Mark 8 verses 22 to 26 and they came to Bethsaida and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village and when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him he asked him do you see anything and he looked up and said I see people but they look like trees walking Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. Beloved Church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Jesus came to reveal, uncover, make plain, and display the kingdom of God so that through his teaching and his miracles, God's people could see the kingdom clearly. Miracles have a place in in this work of revelation because they give us a glimpse of the restoration of all things in the kingdom of God. 
Every miracle that Jesus performed reveals something to us about what God is like and what it is like to live with God in a peaceful relationship. When Jesus was on earth, the miracles always accompanied his teaching. And so the particular message of each miracle can be determined by the context. Jesus didn't do miracles just to make his own life easier in a selfish way like books often portray magic. If you can't open the peanut butter jar, you, you do a little thing to, to, to open it for you with magic. But Jesus' miracles served in God's greater purpose of revealing the truth. He came to serve, not to be served. He came to reveal the kingdom. His love was unselfish and his faith was genuine. Mark is known for being very brief in his descriptions. And yet when he talks about the healing of this blind man in Bethsaida, he didn't just say that Jesus healed a blind man. Mark takes his time describing the details of the miracle because the way that Jesus healed the blind man and the words that accompanied this healing are part of the revelation for the church. And we need to pay attention to the way that Mark emphasized the improvement of vision in stages by following up Jesus' partial healing of the man, the man's eyes, with three different words in rapid succession that emphasize how clearly the man was seeing after this time spent with Jesus. The great thing is that the the great thing is that the, the very thing that's being described in the miracle is happening again right now as we learn about Jesus' miracle. And I preach you the gospel of Jesus Christ under the theme, Our Lord Jesus grants clear vision in stages for those who are slow to see. We'll see that Jesus had compassion on the blind. He has compassion on the blind. And we ask the question, do you see Jesus clearly? Well, Mark describes Jesus' movements around the Sea of Galilee. We read it together. He's traveling around from one place to another. He's often traveling across that large lake in a boat. And when Jesus and his disciples came to Bethsaida, which was a fishing town on the northeast corner of the lake, we read that some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. The people had good reason for their high expectations of the power of Jesus' touch. For Mark has already told us in chapter 6, verse 56, that as many people as touched even the fringe of his garment were made well. At this time, when Jesus took the blind man by the hand, the man was not immediately healed. It is clear that Jesus had plans to use this opportunity to teach that his compassion to the physically blind is an example of his compassion to those who are spiritually blind. Jesus himself said that he came into the world, and it was the display text as we walked in today, that those who do not see may see. Even as we read and study the miracle, we can see how the Holy Spirit continues to use this miracle to improve our vision, to help us to see Jesus better. 
It's like he is taking us by the hand away from the busyness of life to show us Jesus' glory. Well, Mark brings us right into the story with details that allow us to see what's happening in, in vivid color. Jesus took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village so that he might minister to him in a more private surrounding. It's a beautiful picture of our Lord, compassionate and loving doctor, physician, who loves and cares for his fellow man in their suffering. Jesus reveals that he is that great doctor, referred to also in Mark chapter 2, the physician who stands beside the suffering and the weak, who fulfills the promise of Isaiah 35 verses 5 to 6, who has compassion on those who are blind. And then we see it so clearly before us, the eternal Son of God, whom we worship, the light of the world, reached out his hand and clasped the hand of a blind man in Bethsaida to walk beside him, to guide him to a new life of seeing. And then he spit in his eyes. Although in, other, although in other instances, Jesus showed that he was able to heal at a distance, not even seeing the person in front of him. In this case, Jesus spit in the man's eyes and laid his hands on him. We're not told why Jesus spit in his eyes, but only that he did. Makes, a, again, a very vivid picture for us. And although we might conjecture based on other healings that Jesus used saliva, that there were necessary healing virtues in his saliva, or we might propose that Jesus was intentionally obscuring the man's healed vision to reveal that he came to close the eyes of the hard-hearted and open the eyes of those who continue to trust in him, we can really only conclude that Jesus proved by this that he had full liberty to heal a person any way that he wanted. Well, the result of Jesus' spit and laying on of hands was that the blind man could see, but his vision was not perfectly clear. The passage before us today is unique to Mark, and it draws our attention because it's the only miracle in which Jesus begins with a partial or an incomplete healing before completing the restoration in a second stage of healing. And Jesus even draws attention to this very unique manner in which he healed this man by asking the man if, if he could see anything. In an answer to Jesus' question, the partially healed blind man looked up and, and he said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. That's a very memorable statement. The partially blind man couldn't distinguish people from trees, and yet he knew that they weren't trees because they were walking around. If he couldn't see the people properly because they were blurry, perhaps it's comparable to, uh, to what those among us that need corrective lenses see when you try to go out without glasses on. If the people literally looked no different than trees 
before him, even, even clearly, then it's possible that his brain needed to be healed as well in order that his eyes might work properly. But whatever our explanation of what happened might be, the gracious conclusion of the meeting is that Jesus did not leave that blind man in a state of distorted vision. Jesus had compassion on the blind man. And the gospel message is not only that Jesus was able to help the man far further, but also that he remained with that man patiently asking after him until he could see fully. Jesus again touches the man, laying his hands directly on the man's eyes. And when Jesus lays his hands on the man, he reminds us of the way that the priests laid their hands on the animals to be sacrificed so that they might transfer the sins of the people onto that animal sacrifice. However, the results of Jesus' work show that rather than transfer sin to the, the blind man, the opposite, exact opposite thing happens. As the Lord promised in Isaiah 53, Jesus took on the infirmities of the sinner in front of him. Jesus was a sacrifice, but not a, a passive animal simply receiving or bearing up under the load, but a self-sacrificing, willing, innocent Lord who reached out his hand and actively took on the man's suffering and placed it upon himself so he might bear the burden of punishment. He willingly removed the man's blindness so that the man could see Jesus. Jesus displays his compassion for the world by removing blindness. And at this point, Mark is emphatic about the change this brought about for the man. Using various uh, versions of, of the same verb base, he, he repeats it three times. It's almost embarrassing how, how, how clear. He just says, look, he can see, he can see, he can see. He opened his eyes. His sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Jesus stayed with the man like a physician until he was able to see clearly. And the blind man could see what? He could see our Lord Jesus, who had shown such compassion to him, who had remained with him until this point of seeing. Well, the same compassion for the physically blind is shown by our Lord Jesus to those who are spiritually blind. This is the purpose of his mission and his ministry on earth being displayed also in this miracle. To, he came to fully reveal the entire counsel of God. And the question is that as you hear and as you study this miraculous healing, do you see Jesus clearly? If you look at the context, you can see that a part of Jesus' suffering was that the people had eyes, but they could not see. For their hearts were hardened. They had set up walls that prevented the light of the gospel from shining in. And as we read through this chapter, we could see how the context repeatedly highlights this aspect of Jesus' suffering. In spite of the many miracles and, and the clear teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
Indeed, immediately after he had, he had fed a crowd of 4,000 people with just seven loaves and, and a few small fish, Pharisees came and they argued with him, they seeking a sign from heaven. We read in Mark 8, verse 12, that Jesus sighed deeply in his spirit. For although they were seeing, they remained blind in their unbelief. And although Jesus had every reason to expect more of his disciples, Jesus highlights how the very disciples who had collected the extra basketfuls of, of bread after thousands were fed, they misunderstood his warning about the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod to be a concern about the fact that they had no bread as they were entering the boat. Jesus compares his disciples to blind people. He, he asks them, do you not perceive or understand? It's in verses 17 to 18. Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? In verse 21, do you not yet understand? Indeed, they had been as blind spiritually as the man at Bethsaida had been blind physically. And just as Jesus had taken that blind man by the hand to lead him into his, into his ministry, he patiently leads his disciples to the truth by asking them to think carefully about the significance of the miracles, of the feedings of the thousands. Jesus has compassion on the blind. And Mark tells us this miracle because Jesus has compassion on us too. When we fail to perceive who he is, when we have hardened hearts to, to block out the light of the gospel, when we forget the glorious revelation that was given to us in Jesus Christ. And as we see these parallels, we also begin to understand why Jesus decided to only do a partial healing. When we know that he was capable of completely healing the blind man immediately. The Lord Jesus wanted his disciples to learn from this incident about their own spiritual development. He wanted to show them that at that moment they were like the blind man who was seeing people as if they were trees walking. So he asked the disciples a question that is very similar to the question he asked the blind man in verse 29. But who do you say that I am? Now Peter's answer seems to show that he had gone from, that, from, from having his eyes but not seeing, verse 18, to seeing clearly. For he states in verse 29, he says, You are the Christ. And yet, in the very next instance, he rebukes the Lord Jesus for speaking plainly about his death and resurrection. Peter was still only seeing Jesus as if a tree, not a man. Although Peter knew that Jesus was the Christ, he did not understand fully what that meant for our Lord. Satan had continued to obscure the image of our Lord Jesus, and, and Peter was still focused on the things of man rather than the things of God, as you see in verse 33. Well, the good news for Peter and for the church is that Jesus is patient 
with those who are moving from blindness to partial sight to seeing fully. And he continues to stand by Peter to lead him to see more things, to disciple him. And Jesus wanted his church to see clearly so that they might be ready to serve as faithful witnesses to the truth of the gospel. Our text makes a very close connection between seeing clearly and being a public witness of Jesus Christ. Although this man had just had his his physical vision restored at the hand of our Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus still, in verse 26, sent him to his home, saying, do not even enter the village. In the same way that the Lord had told the deaf Uh, the deaf mute or the deaf man with a speech impediment to remain silent. He told the healed blind man to remain out of sight of the public. Basically, Jesus was letting the, the healed man know that he was not seeing clearly enough to be a witness to our Lord Jesus in the world at that time. And although this may be very hard for us to understand today, after we have been sent out by Jesus and by the apostles to to go out and to preach and teach and make disciples of, of all nations, this miracle took place before Jesus had finished all his work. Even his own disciples who recognized that he was the Christ were strictly charged at that moment to tell no one about him because they would be unable to represent him until they knew about his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for being blind guides. And so he made it clear that the love and the work of the triune God should only be spoken about by those who can see clearly, who who know the fullness of God's work in Jesus Christ. Jesus does not want to be misrepresented. He does not want to, uh, he doesn't want false witnesses. He doesn't want to appear to others just as trees walking around. The disciples spent at least three years being discipled by Jesus before they were officially sent out on their own and then only with the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Later, Peter showed that he understood Jesus' teaching when he explained that those who were to be eyewitnesses, or those, that only those who had been eyewitnesses of all Jesus' redemptive acts could serve as apostles. You read about that in Acts 1, verses 21 and 22. The apostle Paul spent time training and, and learning the scriptures before he headed out as a witness to the resurrection. We aren't born with an innate knowledge of Jesus Christ, but there is a process of of learning, of of improving our vision, learning that God works into the Christian life. We have this learning through the ministry of the church leaders and cooperation with the spiritual leaders in the homes. We praise the Lord for his patience with us as he leads us to see him as he is, more and more clearly. Well, the miracle revealed to us in our text and the surrounding context are also great reasons for caution 
and for humility in the lives of Christians today. When we only know a part of the truth, especially when it's taken out of context and used to make our final conclusions, then it's not hard to arrive at a wrong conclusion about who Jesus is. It's a term even used in, in outreach and mission circles. It's called the cage stage. When, when someone comes to the, the, the faith and they see Jesus Christ, then they're told to stay in a cage for a few years to study further before they go out and uh, misrepresent, in, so that they don't go out and misrepresent Jesus Christ. This man who had been healed from blindness had to be aware that the fact that he was healed from blindness could potentially hold others in their blindness. If all that people knew about Jesus Christ was that he was some sort of miracle man, and if they didn't know that he was the Christ and the promised Messiah who had come as a prophet and a priest and a king, they would have a very partial and a very wrong idea about Jesus. They would be seeing him without seeing him. They would not understand. And the same applies to us today. If you use, misuse the message of, of this miracle, to only see Jesus as some sort of miracle man in your life, as, as your healer or your personal deliverer, you are not seeing the fullness of the gospel of the Son of God who reveals to us all the glory of our Father in heaven. So often our selfish intentions confuse the truth to make it look more like a tree than a person. You see, Jesus Christ is more than just a patch for your holes. He is more than just that friend you always needed. He is more than the Savior who fills in whatever might be missing in your life. He is the Son of God. And if the only reason we turn to Jesus is to get something for ourselves out of Him, then we are getting the wrong message from this miracle today. When you look at this miracle, do not think about Jesus' worth in terms of what He can do for you. But see the fullness of the display of the glory, the compassion, the patience, the love of your triune God who lifts you up to see. See the fullness of God. How he blesses you by giving you what, not, not by giving you what you want, but by changing what you want. By transforming you so that you get what you need. And the gospel promise in this miracle is that God cares about those who are living in blindness. And although it's not easy to see the truth of the gospel right away in our lives, and we spend a lot of time encouraging and teaching our children about the truth, and showing that to them, our Lord Jesus accompanies us in that process. And sometimes it takes years of prayers that are not answered the way that we want. And sometimes it takes a, a hardship like blindness or cancer or depression or the death of loved ones. Sometimes it's just the experience of 
reading and studying the scriptures and struggling with sins and temptations and being confronted with your own weaknesses and sins. When we can't see the light as it shines directly before us, whether we are hostile like Pharisees or even willing like the disciples. The Lord takes us by the hand and, and he leads us in this life to see the amazing works, love of God. The Lord does not always bring us from blindness to clear vision in one step. But the gospel message is that he does accompany us like a doctor holding us by the hand to make us see things more clearly. He does this through the full revelation of his word, which we can study, which we instruct one another on. He does this through the cloud of witnesses and the collected prophecies that we, we study in our Bible studies. He does this through the many experiences in life. So Christians must be very eager to, to listen to the experiences and, and the lessons of one another, especially from the more experienced members of our congregation. And then we're reminded of what James says in chapter 1, verse 19, let us be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 7, the apostle says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And in Philippians 3, verse 15, he urges the church that the mature should think according to what he has taught. And then he says, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will also reveal that to you. How often have we discovered that our vision was obscured and that we were only seeing things partially? Well, thanks be to God for the promise of, of full knowledge that the Holy Spirit gives us in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 11 to 12. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Our Lord Jesus grants his people vision so that we may see him and know him and praise him as he is forever. Amen.